Hello and welcome to The Planet Today. It is Friday, February 10th, 2023. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host extraordinaire, Nick Janusa. Nick, what is going on, my man? Matt, not too much, my man. Not too much. Got Valentine's Day coming up. So you bet your butt I'm going to the store Getting some flowers, getting some <laughs> chocolate. No, I'm not getting chocolates. We talked about how wasteful chocolates are. I'm not doing that. But yeah, I'm excited for this weekend. Get a plant. Lives longer. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think we talked about it on, on the show too. I think last year around Valentine's Day, we were both like, yeah, like flowers are nice, but like plants is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's understandable, dude, because plants, it's like, hey, it's not going to be dead in seven days. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Well, with my luck, it might be because uh, our, our cats really like one of our plants and uh, <laughs> the thing is holding on for dear life. Oh, you got to be careful. You know, I didn't even tell you, you got to be careful. This is a topic for another day, but toxic plants yeah. in your house. Oh, you already yep. get it? Good. Yeah, these, this one's non-toxic. Uh, it's not toxic to the cats. The cats are kind of toxic to it, but that's just because they like pouncing on it. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, we'll see. We'll see. We're doing our best over here. Yeah. <laughs> That's an adjustment period. You'll get it. You'll get it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't want people to think I'm complaining. I, I love my cats. They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, pets are the best. All right. You know what else is going to be the best? Today's episode of The Planet Today. Whoa! Let's do it. <laughs> today's show, um, Nick and I just want to say our hearts go out to those impacted by the earthquake in Turkey and in Syria. Uh, thousands were killed and thousands more have been injured. We are recording this earlier in the week on Wednesday. Um, the earthquake was on Monday, so we're going to discuss that in full next week when we have some more information. Um, but for the time being, yeah, our, our thoughts and our, our prayers are going out to everyone impacted. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get into our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by the Associated Press, who writes, Biden administration recommends major Alaska oil project for NBC News. Pretty disappointing news towards the end of last week, as the Biden administration recommended a boost to U.S. energy security in the form of the ConocoPhillips Alaska Willow Project, a major oil development in Alaska's North Slope. Environmentalists and climate activists worry that this is a carbon bomb and feel that this is counter to President Biden's pledge to cut carbon emissions and promote clean energy. The move is not final, as the Bureau of Land Management could select a different alternative in its final decision. The U.S. Interior Department said in a separate statement that it has substantial concerns about the project and the report's preferred alternative including direct and indirect greenhouse gas emissions and impacts to wildlife and Alaska native substance. Leaders of the native village of Nuiqsut and the city of Nuiqsut said they do not feel like the Bureau of Land Management is addressing their concerns, including that the expansion would encroach on their traditional lands. ConocoPhillips has estimated that this project will create 2,000 construction jobs, 300 permanent jobs, and generate between eight 
to $17 billion in revenue. This project would bring miles of roads and hundreds of miles of oil pipeline, disrupt animal migration patterns, and erode habitats, according to Earth Justice. U.S. Interior Secretary Deb Holland, who fought the Willow Project as a member of Congress, has the final decision on whether to approve it, although top White House climate officials are likely to be involved. And what I'll say for that is, you know, if Deb Holland was fighting against the Willow Project while an active member of Congress, I would hope that she would continue to do so now that she's Secretary of the Interior. Um, And I don't think White House climate officials are going to, and, and maybe I'm being naive here, but I don't think White House climate officials are going to recommend something that environmentalists and climate activists are worried about being a carbon bomb. Like when we use that phrase, it's oil and gas projects are already bad for the environment because they produce a lot of carbon. A carbon bomb is one that stands out as being even worse. Right. So that's not a phrase that gets tossed around lightly. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping here that, you know, I, I understand the need for energy security. Right. I understand the need for more oil in the short term, but this is not something that can just happen in the short term and we need to look at the bigger picture. So I'm I'm hoping that officials will, will push this decision in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, it is a tough one because right now we're at a point where we want to see gas prices going down. You know, it's winter and we're just kind of not seeing it. And like you said, like it is long term, but like how long term is it? Like when are we gonna when are we gonna see, you know, the real um, benefits uh, of this project coming out and in quantity as well? Like how many oil barrels? Yeah, yeah. So I, I have the answer to one of those, and the other one is kind of a twofold answer. So how many barrels is going to be uh, one hundred eighty thousand barrels of oil per day? Okay, according to this article, um, that would be produced by the Willow Project. Obviously, that's a boost to U.S. oil production. The, the the other question you had is kind of like there's there's not really an easy answer because on the one hand, projects like this take years to actually come into production. So the oil that's going to be seen here will not make a difference on oil and gas prices tomorrow. Right. That being said, they kind of can because of like futures. You know, we can release oil from the petroleum reserve knowing that more is going to be added to it. Exactly. My question is why? Like this this project won't be ready to go tomorrow if it's approved. So if it's going to take some time, then I just don't see the return on investment for this versus more renewable energy because like if if it's all going to take a couple years, why not invest in the thing that's going to be part of our energy infrastructure for you know, the next 20, 30 years instead of something that's going to be phased out within the next nine or I guess right. it's 2023 now. So the next seven years. Yeah. I, I agree with you on, on, in that regard. I, I, I do think though, like we're going to be on, you know, even if electrics become like absolutely massive, mm-hmm. we still can't just completely phase out gas cars because people are going to have them. They're going to be on the roads, you know? So like we yeah. do have to have oil in five to 10 years, even 15, 20 maybe. But I agree with what you're saying. Why not spend the money on renewable energy? That's, that's a completely valid yeah. question. So, yeah. And, and you're right. You're right. Like if they get, they're going to start to get phased out in 2030. That's when everyone's hoping to electrify or 2035 at the latest is when people are hoping to fully electrify their fleet. So gas cars are going to be sold for the next seven 
to 12 years at least. Exactly. Um, They're, they're not going anywhere yet, but I don't know. To me, it's just like, if we're going to make smart investments, I think the best way to do that is to really gear up for the renewable energy transition. And we're not even just talking here with like gas prices. We're talking about heating homes. There are so many utilities that are switching over to, you know, more renewables in the grid. So this oil that gets pumped out, natural gas that gets pumped out, it's not going to get used to heat houses in, you know, 10 years. And right. I'm, I'm throwing out a rough number there. It's it's going to take longer than that. But my, my point is that like the, the infrastructure isn't going to go anywhere. The oil spills that this is going to cause, the gas leaks that this is going to cause, this has a much greater environmental impact than dumping the same amount of money into solar and wind. So yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, you know, long story short, we'll we'll see what the U.S. Interior Department ends up doing here. Um, but I'm just kind of hoping for a, a win for the environmentalists. Agreed. Yeah, great points. All right, let's move on to our next story. And it is titled, Latest Count of Western Monarch Butterfly Highlights Steep Toll of Climate Fuel Disasters by Maria Luisa Roselle of the National Wildlife Foundation. We are going to break this up into three parts, the good news, the bad news, and an easy call to action for our listeners here. Good news first, the monarch butterfly population increased to 335,479 individuals at the 26th annual Western Monarch Thanksgiving count in 2022. The bad news, this was short of the five-year goal of having 500,000 individuals needed for recovery of the species. We're talking about 165,000 individuals short. Dr. Rebecca Quinones Pinon said that the increase is good, but it's clear that extreme weather events are taking a major toll on monarch butterflies. One major issue is that the species' wintering grounds in California have been impacted by torrential rains, leading to floods that can damage the roots of trees which would make the butterflies migrate away from those areas. And that, that's a really good point and something that I want to go on a quick tangent about. Um, you know, that, that right there is one of the, the prime examples for California has been in drought for years and years. And some people might think that, oh, with the flooding they're seeing, you know, maybe there's almost a silver lining. You know, maybe it's almost good that they're getting so much rain. Yeah. The problem is that, and it's what we're seeing here, the environment cannot handle as much water as got dumped into it yes. in the past several weeks and months. You know, like flood is not the direct counteraction to drought. It's, it's gradual watering over time that fixes it. And that's not what we saw here. So, you know, like Nick just said, all of those floods are going to damage the roots of trees, which is going to impact the local ecosystem. Yeah, great point. It's like, you have to think about the landscape, you know, like what is the water falling onto? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, a lot of the time it's just falling onto straight like dirt. Mm-hmm. There's no like grass. There's no like vegetation. It is mostly just dirt that it's falling on. Yeah. And what does that cause? Erosion. You know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Erosion, mudslides, all that stuff. So just not a good situation for California. And it's not like it's soil either. Like there's a really... F- firm distinction between soil and dirt. And Nick chose the word dirt for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> like it's the stuff that when too much water hits it, it's going to spray up in the air. It's going to exactly. dissipate. Yep. We're not talking about the kind of absorption we need, but 
Anyway, side note over, great point by you that made me dive off. Um, This is the second year in a row that Monarch butterfly numbers have increased. However, Monarch butterflies do need our help. The article lists several ways to help Monarch butterflies, so if you want to take this a step further, please, please do. We are going to ask you to do two things if you're able to do them and you have the space to do them. Yes. So the first is to plant the native milkweed that is found naturally in your local ecosystem. The second is to plant a diversity of nectar plants that are native to your area. If you have the space for it, plant some native seeds. Create a small or or large if you want to do it that way, but create some sort of small pollinator garden at your home, in your backyard, off by the woods where like you don't really go over there as often. Yeah. It's going to create more plant growth. You'll see more beautiful flowers that are meant to thrive in your native area. More wildlife will come by because they'll see the plants they're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And it'll give butterflies, bees, hummingbirds, you know, all of those pollinators a better shot at survival. And we talked about this a couple weeks back. I forget when, but we were talking about how important pollinators are for our national GDP. If you want to see food prices stay low, it starts at home and it starts with making sure that the right pollinating group of insects and animals have a good shot at this. Yeah. I was going to say, even if you're a selfish person, like you just want to see your plants do well, Mm -hmm. start a pollinator garden. Yeah. Boom. Your plants are going to do immediately better, but you're also... We don't have to think about this part, but you're also going to be helping the entire environment as a whole. So yeah, also a big plus. Yeah, absolutely. You know, pollinators, they really do make the entire ecosystem better because so many things rely on cross-pollination. So when you have a diversity of, of nectar plants, you're going to see a diversity of pollinators come in. When you have milkweed, it's going to bring in those monarch butterflies. And let's talk about it this way too. Like, Honeybees are really cool. Butterflies are beautiful. Hummingbirds are fascinating to watch. Like you're going to have a really cool spot to look at just by doing a little five by five patch of grass, you know, off in the corner of your yard. If you have a yard, I say go for it. Yeah. Love it. All right. We are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we got two more quick hits for you. Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, 
plastic water bottles may be next ban in Hawaii's war against pollution. By the Honolulu Civil Beats, Ben Angarone. Finally, some happy news for you on this Friday. Hawaiian state lawmakers advanced a bill last week that would prevent water bottles holding less than two liters from being sold within the state. The article points out that this approach admits recycling plastic is not working, and we need to eliminate some of the supply of that plastic. This comes off the back of China no longer accepting international recycling materials as of 2019, but the need to remove plastic waste did not decrease with that decision. If passed, the ban would go into effect on January 1st, with bottled water used in emergency and public health situations as the exceptions. Representative Nicole Lowen, a co-sponsor of the bill, said that the move gets to the heart of throwaway culture. This plan focuses more on the reduction part of the reduce, reuse, recycle jingle that we've all heard before. Yeah, and we've mentioned it at nauseum on the show, but if you're new here, one thing Nick and I always kind of echo whenever we bring up that reduce, reuse, recycle jingle, it's really important that that's, that's a tier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like... The, the triangles where they're all equal doesn't really do it justice. It's reduce your consumption first. And that's what Hawaii is focusing on here, reducing the consumption of plastic by reducing the production of plastic that goes into the state. The next would be reuse it if you can't reduce it. Mm-hmm. And if none of those work, that's when you recycle it. With glass and aluminum, it's a little bit better. Actually, it's a lot better <laughs> with plastic. Yeah. You know, we're looking at like 9% of total plastics get recycled. So that is why there is the need to fix this issue because less than one in 10 plastic water bottles gets recycled. Yeah. Do you remember the numbers? I, I was trying to think of the numbers on that, on the glass recycle um, rate. It was something insane. It was something like 70% or like 80%. So it, it was 75% of all aluminum ever created yes. is still in production today. Unbelievable number. Yeah. And that's something actually that we're going to get into a little bit because there is opposition to this bill. And it comes from the International Association of Bottled Water, who argue that the creation of plastic water bottles actually produces less greenhouse gas emissions than aluminum or glass. Technically, that is correct. Producing one plastic water bottle uses less resources, uses less energy than producing one glass or one aluminum bottle. But what Nick just brought up is is the key to this argument. Aluminum and glass can be recycled infinitely. Like I just said, three quarters of all aluminum ever created is still in production. So when you recycle a can of beer, a can of soda, a water bottle that comes in aluminum, it's most likely going to be reused for the same exact product because you can melt it down and reshape it. Same with glass. Glass can be broken down almost infinitely to either be repurposed or if you break it down hard enough, it just becomes sand again. Plastic can be recycled at most a few times, maybe three or four. And the other caveat I'd like to throw out there is, of course, the International Association of Bottled Water supports plastic bottled water. That's like having the International Association of the Planet Today fans being like, this podcast is good. (laughs) (laughs) Of of course, the international TPT fan base thinks that. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Um, And I do want to correct myself. The glass recycling rate is actually only like 33%. So not great, but you're right on the aluminum thing. Yeah, and like we said, glass can be broken down. Yes, true. So if it's not recycled properly, like you could just turn it into sand. Exactly, and <laughs> we could restart the whole process over again. 
Um, one representative on the committee, Gene Ward, was the only committee member who voted against the bill. He said that he worried that one year timeline would be too quick for businesses to adjust their supply chains. He was more open to the ban beginning in three years. Yeah, fair enough. You know, I, I think that there is definitely merit to something like that. What I will say is, you know, it's it's kind of a it's a bad analogy maybe, but like if you build it, they will come. Yeah. If you give a one year timeline, people will figure it out because it's gonna suck if you don't. Yeah, exactly. Maybe if you <laughs> uh if you destroy it, they will figure it out is a better one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and honestly, like the plastic the plastic industry as a whole, they've done a lot of harm to this planet. Yeah. They have made a lot of money. I'm not really concerned, <laughs> like if we're being completely yeah. honest. What I do feel for is you know, the local restaurant owner who stocks plastic water bottles. You know, this is coming off, I think it was two years ago now, or maybe last year, that Hawaii banned plastic utensils. So it's disruptive to the supply chain. Mm-hmm. That being said, this is the reason why we have government subsidies. You know, you can subsidize whether it's like reusable bottles or something that you can sell at a premium or yeah or just totally cut it out you know plastic water bottles is a little different than something like silverware but <laughs> yeah i think this is a unique situation too because it's it is hawaii like everything is shipped to hawaii anyway yeah so like you know we're not going to really see a massive change here at home they're still going to be producing it you know so this is kind of this all ha- kind of happens not in a vacuum, but like somewhat, because they're kind of so far off uh, the rest of the coast. Yeah, but it'll it'll come to the mainland U.S. next. Yeah, you true. know, one state once one state does it, the other is going to be like that is a good idea, and here's why it worked for Hawaii, and here's what yes, didn't work true. for Hawaii. Success so what story. can we do differently? Exactly. Yeah, we'll see. Agreed. All right, our last quick hit of the week is from BBC, where Simon Jack and Nick Edser write. Shell reports highest profits in 115 years. Wake up, bestie. Matt's about to go off on Shell and ExxonMobil again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Shell made $39.9 billion last year. That's double what they made in 2021. Like, just, just let that sink in for a second. Since Russia invaded Ukraine last year, energy companies have been experiencing record profits from oil and gas. According to the article, energy prices had begun to climb after the end of COVID lockdowns, but rose sharply in March of last year after the events in Ukraine led to worries over supplies. The UK government introduced a windfall tax last year that was meant to fund lowering gas and electricity bills by taxing the high earnings of energy firms. Shell had previously said it does not expect to pay any UK taxes this year. But last week said that it was actually due to pay 134 million in 2022 and 500 million in 2023 for the windfall tax. Since only 5% of Shell's revenue is made in the UK, this is roughly 1.25% of their UK profits going towards the windfall tax. It's something, I guess. <laughs> the, the, the fact that, like, yeah. not too long ago they said they don't expect to pay any taxes. I just, I don't get it, man. It just... Is there an issue there or what? I mean, Jesus. Yeah. And it's not... All right. I'm going to say something that you'll probably never catch me say again. I don't blame big corporations when they don't pay taxes because, like, that their whole point is to make money. Mm -hmm. Who I do blame is 
the tax code. You know, like they, they shouldn't be able to do that because if you let them do that and you have these tax loopholes, of course they're going to do that. Yeah. So eliminate the loopholes. This article was written in the UK. It is similar here in the States and around the world. Oil and gas companies are raking in record profits all while consumers are struggling and further investment in fossil fuel projects is still continuing. Shell's chief executive said that Shell is playing its part by investing in renewable technologies, which seems like nothing more than just a PR move as they continue to try to extract as much oil from the earth as possible. Yeah, honestly, the only way I can compare it to is like somebody when you're a little kid on the playground is is punching you and they're being a bully and then they stop and they're like, see, I stopped hitting you. Like, well, we wouldn't have this problem in the first place <laughs> if you didn't start hitting me. Yeah. <laughs> This whole this whole thing is infuriating. So Ed Davey of the British Liberal Party said what many of us are probably thinking. No company should be making these kinds of outrageous profits out of Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine. They must tax the oil and gas companies properly and at the very least ensure that energy bills do not rise yet again in April. And this isn't even unique to Shell. ExxonMobil announced a record $56 billion in annual profits for 2022, according to Samini Sengupta of the New York Times. The company also bragged about establishing one of the largest recycling facilities in North America, with the capability to process more than 80 million pounds of plastic per year. All right, let's, let's call the good part first. Recycling 80 million pounds of plastic, that's good. And it sounds like a lot. It sounds like a good thing. Then you realize that ExxonMobil alone produced an estimated 13.2 billion pounds of polymers <laughs> that were used to make plastics in 2021. So they're recycling 80 million, but producing 13.2 billion. This is not, this is nothing more than PR. Yeah. Exxon is the largest producer of virgin polymers. And despite the best efforts by consumers, producers are creating more and more plastic every single year. This means we're also throwing away more and more plastic every single year. And that's what ties into the story that we just talked about. That's why Hawaii is looking to ban another form of plastic. Yeah. And plastic is not just a problem of what you see on the side of the road or in the ocean. It's also a climate problem. Single-use plastics produced 450 million metric tons of greenhouse gases in 2021. But thank goodness... ExxonMobil is recycling 80 million pounds. This is a production problem. The more plastics that are produced, the more plastics that will be consumed because it's convenient for us as consumers. And I'm not going to say that I haven't gone out and bought a Gatorade recently when I was hungover. Yeah. You know, like we, we buy it because it's there. That being said, if I could buy it in an aluminum can and recycle that, would I have done it? Absolutely. I needed the Gatorade. I drank too much the night before. It is what it is. But like as consumers, we need to have better options. Yeah. Because if all we're facing is, is plastics, that's what we're going to buy. And I can bring my, re my reusable water bottle around everywhere like I do. But what about when I'm not drinking water? Yeah. I mean, it, like people are out. People are buying stuff in plastic all the time. I think about all of like like Tupperware that we have mm -hmm. at, our, at our homes. And like credit. this is a credit to my mom. She has some plastic containers from literally 1993 and she's still using them and it's incredible. So I give her props for that. She bought quality stuff and she's still using it, but 
for a lot of us, it's just like, it's another thing where it's like, we can't phase it out. You know, yeah. you can buy maybe like a glass Tupperware, but but that's not going to stop the production of of just plastic Tupperware and single use plastics in general. So, yeah, that, that's 100 percent correct. You know, like that's that's why whenever we talk about reducing emissions or reducing plastic, look, do whatever you can. You know, like we go through a bunch of things here at home that we have reusable sandwich bags because we don't want to use the plastic sandwich bags. We have like these beeswax wraps so we don't have to put things away in plastic. Like We do our part, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make a difference until ExxonMobil and Shell stop producing so much oil that's going to be used to produce plastic. Like until companies make the switch, until we as consumers have more alternatives, then plastic is going to continue to be a problem. Yeah. Absolutely agreed. And like this, this article and, and the way that you unpacked it is just like more proof that like these companies, these oil companies are literally just diverting. Mm-hmm. Everything that they say is just like a diversion from the real issue and then, and like, like them being the problem. It's just misdirection. So frustrating. Yeah. A hundred percent. The good news is that May 11th, 2023 in Brussels, there will be the Plastic Health Summit of 2023 hosted by the Plastic Soup Foundation. Hopefully we get some good answers out of that. We get some good plans to phase out plastics, but that's three months away and I'm sure we'll have more plastics to talk about until then. Yeah, definitely. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of TPT. We're going to be back next Friday. Until then, go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden if you'd like. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all of our music. Nick, where can people hear more of your stuff? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash budlincape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out. Our logo was made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here next week. Peace! Peace!